You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States' relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin. Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. We've got an exclusive interview with Aaron Perini, Principal Deputy Communications Director with the Trump 2020 campaign ahead of President Trump's Tulsa rally. And we check in on Vice President Biden. Who's he going to pick for VP? Jennifer Epps Addison is going to give us the inside scoop. She's with the Center for Popular Democracy. And... Let's talk more about Tulsa. Everyone's talking about Tulsa. This, as the Biden campaign seeks to create a contrast with President Trump in celebrating Juneteenth. And my good friend, Adam Goodman, Republican media strategist, column and partner at Ballard Partners in Washington. He's going to end the week for us. We made it to Friday, folks. Happy Friday and happy Juneteenth Day. And let's begin with that. Some reporting from the Washington Post, Emily Davies, Marissa J. Lang, and Michael E. Ruani. Reporting, people gathered across Washington on Friday to celebrate the death of slavery and continue the national street crusade against the racial oppression still pervading American society. Marches, motorcades, and vigils were unfolding, with roads closing to accommodate the latest in three weeks of almost daily demonstrations following the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis police custody on May 25th. Folks, I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. The rallies that have been going on today and are likely going to continue throughout the weekend, it is the 155th, think about that, 155th anniversary of Juneteenth, June 19th, 1865. And that's the day that a military decree was announced in Galveston, Texas, informing thousands of enslaved people in the Confederate state that they were free. It's fascinating because now flash forward to 2020 when Senator John Cornyn, a Republican from the great state of Texas, has introduced legislation into the Senate to make Juneteenth a day, a national holiday. And it's likely going to pass with bipartisan, bipartisan support. Flashback to one week ago or several weeks ago when the president uh, had announced that he was holding a rally on this day. And... There was forceful pushback, and ultimately the rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma, 
was postponed until tomorrow. I've been talking with sources on the president's re-election campaign throughout the past week, and they are saying that tomorrow's rally is going to be day one of the presidential campaign, that now the president is back in full force. He does so at a time when there is still a global pandemic, and he does so at a time when Americans are hurting economically, and he does so at a time of great racial unrest and division in our country. And that's where we begin tonight with my exclusive interview with Erin Perini. She is Principal Deputy Communications Director with the Trump 2020 campaign, and I asked her about all of this. Take a listen. All right, a lot of controversy surrounding this uh, rally that's going to be happening tomorrow night. Will the president address Juneteenth? Will he address some of the racial unrest in this country? Well, we all know we never want to get ahead of President Trump when it comes to his speech, but he always touches on what's going on in the country and what's going on across the world. He's a bold leader with bold policies. And tomorrow, after the first time in three months, we're going to have a packed arena for the president, and you are going to hear him at his strongest and at his finest. America's reopening, and this is just the beginning. All right, but Aaron, what do you say to folks who say now isn't the right time? This virus is still spreading. There's the health concerns. The last thing people want is for another spike uh, and, and, and have to close things down again. America did the work that needed to be done to slow the spread by staying home. Here in Oklahoma, they're already on phase three and beginning to reopen. And for those in the media who question whether or not we should begin to reopen, we're taking health and safety seriously here at the campaign, and so is the president, doing temperature checks, providing hand sanitizer, providing masks as well for rally goers. I didn't hear any of that at any of the protests across the country that the media was lauding. We're taking it seriously here. You will see that reflected in what's going to happen here tomorrow. The country needs to reopen. It's time to get back. And this is a good start for that. All right. But, you know, the polls suggest that the president, not just nationally, but in some swing state, that the president has some catching up to do given the past couple of weeks. So let me ask you point blank to independent voters, to voters who voted for former President Barack Obama and then crossed over and voted for President Trump, who are looking at this situation and there's a lot of economic anxiety, a lot of racial unrest, and they just want a sense of calm. Will the president talk to them tomorrow night or will he talk just to his base? President Trump always talks to every American, and these rally speeches are no different. Generally speaking, we see rally goers between 20 and 25 percent are either Democrats or independents. So this is never just about the base. We always bring more people into the fold when President Trump holds a rally. He is a strong leader who brings America together because he wants this country to succeed. You don't see it. I mean, think about this. When the coronavirus hit, it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. President Trump stepped up to make sure every state, if they needed resources, got them from the federal government. It didn't matter if it was a Democrat governor or not. So this is a president who doesn't care. At the end of the day, if you're an American, he's fighting for you first and always. I want to talk about some swing states, particularly Iowa. This was the state that President Trump carried back in 2016, and now polls show a tightening of that race. Farmers, agricultural, so crucial to that swing vote coalition. Uh, and, and yesterday, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo meeting in, in Hawaii uh, with his China counterpart and saying that China is going to agree to buy more agricultural purchases. But... The president ran on new trade deals. If China doesn't follow through with their end of the bargain, are you concerned about losing those agricultural swing voters to Biden? President Trump has hit record high support with farmers in a poll in March, and so we know that that remains strong for him. Listen, 
China got to run amok for decades under previous administrations, including the Obama-Biden administration, taking advantage of America's farmers. President Trump stepped up, negotiated new trade deals, USMCA, phase one China to open more markets for great American agricultural products. He's fought for farmers every day and farmers know there's no bigger champion for them. They are long term planners and they know that the short term isn't where they're going to see it. They're going to see it in the long term. They have seen a growing economy before the coronavirus with President Trump and now they're going to see more market availability because of the action taken by this president. So we feel good about knowing that farmers support this president and remain strong with him. All right, final question for you. If there is a spike of in the fall ahead of November, should the president be voted out of office because of that, because that there wasn't that adequate preparation, or do you think that, there, that that's just not going to happen? The cupboards were left bare by the Obama-Biden administration. President Trump stepped up, made sure that we have ventilators, that we have protective equipment available for hospitals across the country, that we have the most testing capability out of anywhere in the world. So it's really a false narrative to say that he has not stepped up to meet this moment, because not only did he meet it, but he exceeded it. So a hypothetical about what may or may not happen when it comes to a possible spike down the road is a moot point at this point. But President Trump has made sure that this country is ready moving forward, and so he should know. And every American should know that they have a strong leader at the helm, making sure that testing is available, that this country can be secure, not only for now, but if something else were happened in the future. President Trump cares about this country more than anybody, and it shows in what he has done in his true America first leadership through the coronavirus. We're going to work hard for every vote. We're not going to take anything for granted on this campaign. And you're going to see that reflected in November when President Trump gets reelected. That was Aaron Perini, Principal Deputy Communications Director with the Trump 2020 campaign. And coming up, we check in with Biden World. Who's he going to pick for vice president? Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Folks, Friday, you made it. Smile. Live a little. We got through another week. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. It's election season, folks. It's that time of the year. The summer rages on. The books are getting released. Can they get released? They get leaked to the press. We talk about them. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. We started the show with Trump World. Now we go to Biden World. And I want to welcome to the program, first time on the program, Jennifer Epps Addison. She is the president and co-executive director at the Center for Popular Democracy. Jennifer, how are you? Happy Friday. Thank you. Happy Juneteenth. And thank happy you Juneteenth. for having me. Of course, of course. I am a first-time caller, but not a first-time listener. So thank oh, you so much for having me I appreciate me on. you saying that. You know, it's weird in this era of social distancing. I feel like <laughs> I don't see anyone anymore. So I never know if anyone's listening or watching. And then I do something wrong, and then I learn that they are. Uh, <laughs> Jennifer, <laughs> so tell us about uh, the Veep State. Who is Joe Biden going to pick? Well, listen... There's a question of who is he considering picking now, and and then there's the question of who he should pick. And from our vantage point, the vice president needs to pick someone who can help unify the progressive base to the party. Um, You know, 30 to 40 percent of primary voters were progressive voters, and actually in every single 
poll that came out after each primary where Medicare for All was asked, you know, should we have a single-payer health care system? It won every single time. And so Joe Biden needs to pick somebody who's going to excite that base. The other thing that Joe Biden needs to do is pick somebody who, you know, really understands structural racism, who has bona fides in terms of both policy and experience, engaging, working with, listening to communities of color, particularly black communities in this moment, and someone who is going to, you know, lead with a vision to transform this country so that all of us can truly thrive, not just survive. So that's right. who we should pick. <laughs> all right. So so in terms of the, I'm sure you saw the New York Times report where, where um, Senator Amy Klobuchar, she withdrew her name from consideration. And she actually said not only was she withdrawing, but she said that she wants uh, Biden to pick a woman of color uh, for, for the vice presidential pick. Do you think, wh- who, who are some of the names? Kamala Harris, Susan Rice. But who are, all, who are some of the other names that are in contention uh, right now? Well, let me just tell you this, that, you know, there have been a number of folks, prosecutors, former sheriffs, who, were, who have been floated. And it's really important to understand that in this moment where Trump will run as a criminal justice reformer, where black communities are in rebellion. And remember that under, you know, Vice President Biden and Obama's administration, they were also in the streets and rising up. And remember that, you know, even after all of the 300 plus million dollars that have gone into policing under the COPS program that Joe Biden is a huge fan of, um, you know, that these communities are still no safer and, in fact, are, are in many ways under attack from police. And so this is not a moment to, to, you know, to have a prosecutor and the author of the 1994 crime bill on a single ticket. It gives Trump uh, an unearned advantage, an advantage he doesn't deserve at a time where black people enthusiastically participating in this election is the key to success. And in, can I, in places can, like, yeah, go ahead. Because I, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I want to I want to pick up on that particular point because you're 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 it, af, the, it, from based upon my reporting, mm-hmm. the African American community is is fired up for structural change. Is, are they are they fired up more so than than Joe Biden? Do you know what I mean? Like, are they more excited about the Absolutely. prospects? Yeah, so can you elaborate on that? Because I think that's a really important point that the that the energy is not necessarily behind the candidate, but behind the possibility of there being reform. I mean, I think that first and foremost, the energy is around defeating Trump. And we okay. understand that Trump is a you know threat to our daily lives, but he is the idea of a, of allowing him a, a you know a dual for full victory, a victory that he can claim. This, you know, whatever with voter suppression, something that he can claim um, is terrifying because it, it really codifies this authoritarianism and, and white nationalism that is rising up across the globe, whether in Brazil or Hungary or the U.K. or, or here in the United States. And so we understand that we need to defeat Trump. But that does not mean that we will consent to a neoliberal agenda. And I think what you're seeing, you know, in the streets, are that people are really clear in their demands. They're, they're talking about defunding the police. They're talking about abolishing ICE. They're talking about canceling rent. They're talking about ensuring everybody in this country has health care. Um, and they're talking about radically restructuring our economy. These are the, you know, when we say Black Lives Matter, we don't just mean 
that we have the right not to be killed by the police. That is not real freedom. What we need is that our lives matter. We deserve to live with dignity. We deserve to be able to have a a livable wage. We deserve a home and a roof over our heads. We deserve to make sure that when our kids get sick, we can get them the care they need. That's the type of world we want, not just for black people, but for everybody who lives in this country. And we believe that there are enough resources. There's an abundance of resources to do it. And so we need somebody on the ticket who's going to give us some inkling of hope that they understand that this is a moment, this is an opportunity, much like after the Great Depression and the World War I and the pandemic in the 1920s, right? This is a moment where we can radically restructure this country and to, you know, really achieve opportunity for everyone who lives here. And and that's that's the type of inspiration that's going to make sure that in places like Wisconsin and Michigan and Florida and Pennsylvania, the hundreds of thousands of black and brown voters who came out in 2008 and 2012 and who sat home in 2016 while Trump won the states, you know, those types of states by 11, 12, 20,000 votes, right? Those are those. We need a vice presidential candidate that will help us believe that that is the path the Democrats are on. Because right now, you know, they're not listening to what's happening in the streets. So people should not confuse the mass protests and and the fact that we are winning, you know, uh, police free schools and and incredible things all across this country. People shouldn't confuse that with enthusiasm for the Democratic ticket. The the two are not, you know, the same thing. Jennifer Jennifer Epps Addison is on the line. She's the president and co-executive director at the Center for Popular Democracy. We got literally 60 seconds left. So just between us, who do you want? Who do you want on the VP? Well, I think that that there are incredible women of color, so I'll give you a couple. Barbara Lee um, is somebody who I follow anywhere. Stacey Abrams is somebody who, um, you know, set the record for Democratic yep. turnout and votes. Uh, I think if you can do that in Georgia, you can do it all over this country, from Iowa to Wisconsin to Utah. So I think she's great. I think Barbara Lee is a really interesting pick. You know, I've heard her speak, um, and you know, I, I think she would... That's a really, really interesting pick. So, listen, we have to leave it there. Any other quick name? Hey, Elizabeth Warren also is somebody who should be on that list. Okay, all right. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Jennifer Epps-Addison. I wish we had more time. Come back on anytime. President and co-executive director at the Center for Popular Democracy. More next. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg 99.1. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and 
for Bloomberg Radio. Coming up, we're going to check in with my buddy Adam Goodman. He is a columnist and partner at Ballard uh, Partners in Washington, D.C. And we're going to talk about his Fox News op-ed. Joining us right now, (coughs) excuse me, joining us right now on the telephone line is um, Gregory Corti. And he is Bloomberg National Political Reporter. How are you, Greg? I am about as good as you could possibly expect. Okay, I like that. I'll take that for a Friday, you know, yeah. for in, in, in this day and age. All right, so we 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 talked to the left, we talked to the right. Now I'll give it to us straight. Unemployment is still very high in key electoral states, but President Trump, according to Crosstabs, is still the candidate that uh, voters, independent voters, trust more on the economy. Yeah, and that's that's always been um, sort of a perplexing thing that this uh, – President Trump's approval rating really trades in this narrow band. Uh, it, it never goes less than maybe 36 percent, but it's never been above 50 percent. And it seems immune to all of the usual things that uh, can, can make a president's approval rating go up and down, and especially on the economy. Um, it, 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 people favor uh, Trump over Joe Biden. Uh, obviously, you have Trump making the, the case that he is the low-tax, low-regulation jobs president. And certainly to his supporters, you hear this, you talk to Trump supporters, they don't blame him one bit for the job situation. They blame the coronavirus. They blame China. Um, and so, uh, you know, he's uh, certainly uh, pointing to uh, a somewhat of a, an unexpected bounce back in the May jobs report. But as uh, we reported this morning, the state by state outlook, especially in some of these critical states like Michigan, Florida, uh, Pennsylvania, unemployment still uh, historically high. Um, and that's what really counts. And it's not the national unemployment rate. It's that, that state unemployment rate. It's whether your neighbors have jobs. It's whether you have a job that's going to most impact your vote in November. So I think it's interesting. Greg Cordy's on the line. He's a Bloomberg uh, national political reporter. I think it's interesting because you mentioned a state like Pennsylvania, where the Republican-controlled state legislator is suing the governor, who's a Democrat, Governor Tom Wolf. So it's local, too. I mean, the, the Trump campaign is banking that by getting on the side of reopening the economy, that independent voters are are going to, to side with him. Historically, if the economy was this bad and it wasn't a pandemic, we've never really had this happen before, that the incumbent would fare worse. But if you look at the polls, independents are saying they still trust Trump more in the economy. So, I mean, it's uh, what are you hearing from Democrats about whether or not they're concerned about how Biden is playing his cards? Well, you know, look, in the national polls, uh, Biden's up and the RCP average has him up by about eight and a half points. He's leading in all of the swing states that count, and he's he's broadening the map uh, in places like Georgia and Texas and and Arizona. So, you know, look, I think what the uh, Biden campaign, what Democrats are doing is what any candidate does in any race when you're ahead, which is you're somewhat risk averse playing it safe. Uh, You know, the Trump campaign goes after Biden every day for hiding in his basement. And frankly, there's a little bit of truth to that. I mean, Biden has been out in Pennsylvania and Delaware, but certainly isn't uh, crisscrossing the country. And uh, frankly, I don't think he feels like he needs to. Uh, Every day that Trump's out there uh, talking is a day where Trump can do himself damage. 
And so I think, you know, Biden is, is sort of standing pat. Now, we did have a story uh, by our colleagues Tyler Pager and Jennifer Epstein this morning about some real concern among Democrats that Biden's organization is not getting up to speed as fast as it should and that he's not hiring state directors in some of these key battleground states. Uh, as early as he had promised and as early as, you know, previous Democratic campaigns have done. And so, there, you know, there are some concerns that, look, this is not in the bag for Democrats. And, uh, you know, President Trump has surprised us all before again and again and could, could do it once again in November. So meanwhile, Biden has sought to contrast with Trump in celebrating Juneteenth. Tell us about that. Yeah, uh, this is uh, sort of a... a unforced error by the the Trump campaign in trying to uh, come up with a big, splashy event to announce Trump's return to the campaign trail. They picked uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, as the scene of uh, the his first big rally uh, after the the being uh, hunkered down for the coronavirus. Tulsa, both the date and and the place have this symbolic resonance. Though uh, he he picked it for today, which is June nineteenth, Juneteenth, which is what we, when we commemorate the the day that Texas slaves finally learned that they had been emancipated. And Tulsa is the scene of these, you know, really gruesome uh, 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 racial violence, uh, you know, the, on, on uh, at Greenwood, the, the sort of Black Wall Street. Um, and so given everything that's going on, uh, Trump, very, it's, it's sort of a rare conciliation. Trump rarely apologizes and rarely changes his plans because of criticism. But he moved to the, the event back a day. Biden has seized on that. Today, we've had nothing but messaging from the Biden campaign on, on Juneteenth uh, everywhere and every forum he can find to really draw, draw contrast and associate himself with the Black Lives Matter movement um, and uh, really kind of fire up. We talk about, uh, so much about Trump's base. Biden is now working uh, his base and uh, trying to you know, make it clear to African-American and, and, and other uh, minority voters that he is their candidate. Gregory Corti on the line. He's a Bloomberg national political reporter. What? Give us an update in terms of the timetable for when, when Biden would announce his VP pick. Well, yeah. So far as I know, the the thinking is still August the first. Uh, I think certainly the past couple of weeks have probably. Uh, change the trajectory of this process. And even as recently as last night with Amy Klobuchar saying that she was withdrawing herself from consideration from Biden's running mate, but also saying that Biden should pick a woman of color, I I think that was the most prominent Democrat now to really kind of uh, push Biden in that direction, that it's it's going to be hard for him frankly, to uh, to pick a uh, a white woman to be his running mate. He, it, it, it's just it's, it's a, a harder lift. And it, it, he's going to have to make a, a better case for why uh, whoever that is, is the best candidate. So now he's you know, if that's true and he's really narrowed it down to, you know, an African-American or perhaps Hispanic woman, obviously that that narrows the field quite a bit. Um, maybe that makes it easier. Maybe that makes it harder. Uh, only Biden knows for sure. But we know what he said all along is that he's looking more for somebody who he's simpatico with, 
to have the kind of relationship that he had with President Obama uh, that can govern. And frankly, look, the guy is in his late 70s, uh, and he's looking for the generational passing of the baton, uh, too, to somebody who may be able to run for president in 2024 or 2028. What about Susan Rice? I really think that Susan Rice is an intriguing candidate. Uh, she arguably has the best relationship with Joe Biden of anybody that we've talked about. She worked alongside him in the Obama administration for eight years. She was involved in uh, giving uh, President Obama and Vice President Biden their, their president's daily briefing uh, most days when they were in town. Um, she certainly uh, has the, the governing chops, the foreign policy chops. She's never run for elected office. And the other thing is that, you know, she is associated, uh, or at least Republicans have tried to associate her with things like Benghazi and this really, you know, amorphous scandal branded Obamagate. Um, and that, you know, that I think the question then for the Biden campaign is, do they really want to relitigate those things in choosing Susan Rice? Um, or do they uh, yeah. want to go with somebody who's a fresher face with less baggage? All right, Gregory Corti, appreciate you coming on. That's Bloomberg's Greg Corti. He is the national political reporter. And coming up, Adam Goodman, you don't want to miss this. You do not want to miss this. You can download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. Shout out to our executive producer, Christine Barada, who shaded me in the group chat for eating during the break. What was I munching on? Potato chips. Barada, potato chips. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Friday, Friday, finally. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Joining us on the line, his name is Adam Goodman. He is a Republican media strategist, a columnist, and a partner at Ballard Partners in Washington, D.C. Adam, uh, I read your piece on foxnews.com uh, headlined, George Floyd Unrest, MLK's Inspiring Lessons for Challenging Times. And in it, you write, in America, when things aren't right, uh, demonstrate until you grow hoarse and your feet hurt. The Founding Fathers so wanted to protect the right of citizens to protest, they wrote it into the Constitution. We need to make sure that freedom, when faithfully and peacefully exercised, is wholly protected. Yet when protests defame, deface, and destroy, none should be silenced and all should be heard. Violence never brings permanent peace, King warned, whereas the time is always right to do what is right. How come I didn't hear any Republicans writing as eloquently as you did on this topic, Adam? I think they were waiting for me to write my column first <laughs> <laughs> to give them to give them a little bit of courage. Um, you know, it's I I think it's fair to say that most of America, and this is the the good part, most of America has really rallied and rallied quickly uh, to address a number of the things that uh, have happened since the tragic death of George Floyd, and I, I that's that's to our credit, and I think. Uh, it probably has sped up a number of reforms that were always seemingly on the books but never in the law. Uh, that's all good. It's what happens next. And my concern was that when you combine a health pandemic and an economic pandemic uh, with uh, what happened in Minneapolis uh, and what could still happen, unfortunately, uh, 
throughout the rest of the summer and the rest of the year, you end up um, with kind of a, a potential powder keg situation that we really, frankly, had, Kevin, back in the 60s. I, uh, I, I always hate doing this because it dates me, but I was a little kid back in the uh, in 67 when, um, when Martin Luther King was assassinated and was, was still that same young kid in the few years before when he really captured uh, the, the imagination of the country that we could do better. And I really feel that kind of example in leadership is missing today. Uh, and I wish we could get it back because some of the best leaders in the country on both sides of the aisle are, are increasingly silenced, uh, I find, uh, post-George Floyd in anything other than you either toe the line or you don't. You're either all in or you're not. It's, and there is no gradation of it. There is no compromise. There is no discussion. It seems open and shut. I worry about that. And I think Dr. King, not to speak for him because it's not my place. I bet if he were reviewing the situations of today, he would not be pleased with some of the things that are taking place. You know, I hear you, and I, and I, and I hear you because I think you're playing, uh, politically speaking, a long game. Because regardless of the results in November, where does the Republican Party go from here? And you're already seeing it. I would argue the first I don't want to call it a primary because it wasn't. It was a drive-through convention. By the way, drive-through convention. What is it? McDonald's in Virginia <laughs> Six? When uh, who's this guy? Bob Good. Ugh, Bob Good. Right. Uh, drive-through convention. What the to uh, Congressman Denver Riggleman, and it was a hard line. I mean, yes, Riggleman officiated a, a gay wedding. Really, though, it was about immigration. And, and I look at this and I see that you've got Riggleman, who stands for compassionate conservatism of yesterday with the Bush era um, and, you know, John McCain era. And then you have, you know, Bob Good and 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 what he's standing for with the hardline view of immigration. And, and I'm all I could keep thinking of was this is Iowa 2024. Well, look, uh, that particular district, I think it's fair to say, doesn't reflect the rest most of the rest of America, number but one. But it does reflect like the state. I hate to interrupt, but it does reflect the debate that was had in the 2016 Republican primary, and it could be a foreshadowing of the debate that's going to be had for Republicans in 2022 and 2024. And I know people are like, why are you thinking this far ahead? Regardless of what happens, we're, we're only six months away from there being a power vacuum in the Republican Party, Adam. Well, that's a possibility, Kevin. Here's the way I look at it. Uh, one of two things is going to happen uh, in the fall. Uh, either the president will be reelected or, or he will not. Um, and some are saying, well, gosh, if you know, Trump loses in the fall, you know, that's the end of Donald Trump. All contraire. Uh, yeah, if, for some reason, yeah. if for some reason the president doesn't prevail, I think he'll be the most powerful unelected uh, American in the nation uh, moving forward. And any Republican movement, to want to have life after the president, uh, after Trump, is going to have to go through Donald Trump, at least in the short term. So the idea that, okay, well, if that doesn't work, Republicans are going to huddle, they're going to figure out how to rebrand, re-image, uh, put different people in the play. I think what Donald Trump began, with or without Donald Trump, will continue, which is a, a basically uh, taking on what is the status quo with everything we've got, and any Republican that doesn't, Kevin, measure up to that um, uh, will not necessarily fare so well in 22 or 24. 
I couldn't agree more. I mean, in terms of the in terms of the kingmaker type of uh, role that he will try to play, regardless of whether or not uh, he wins. But I, I think what's what's really missing, though, Adam, is where does that Bush Republican go? And, 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 and right, I mean, we had, yesterday on the program we had someone on. Uh, from one of the super PACs that's Republicans who are, are voting for Biden. And, you know, you hear that. But where does where does the Marco Rubio crowd go that have aligned themselves with the president, but obviously has some significant policy differences with him? Where do they go uh, the, the day after the 2020 election? Well, if you're if you're asking where they go, if the president doesn't win re-election. Both. I mean, because because even okay. if he, even if he wins, I mean, you know, after two years, it doesn't you know what I mean? It's a wash. Okay, well, let me answer that two, in, in, in two ways. One is, can we talk about directly the election, the polling and everything else that's going on that shows the president right now? Let's say the president's down five to eight points in the popular poll, something of that ilk. I, I don't disagree with that. I don't, don't, I don't doubt that. But if you take out in the popular vote in New York and California, you're down probably to a, a three-point popular vote margin. And right now, you might say it's all been Trump versus Trump when Joe Biden comes into play and it's actually a, a two-person race and a choice. I think things are going to change. So I think the president's best times uh, in this particular election could very well be ahead. And if he's within shouting distance come the final weekend, he will be reelected, in my point, in my opinion, just as he was in 16. Now, with that said, the Republican Party is going to go through a lot of soul searching with or without Donald uh, Trump as president about who they are and what they are. If for some reason the president's not reelected, I think the soul searching will go on to overdrive. Um, and and trying to rediscover, you might say, the the, the hallowed ground of republicanism. Um, but if you look at electoral history, Kevin, you not only look at it, you studied it. You understand how quickly the pendulum swings. If the Democrats were to be successful in the fall and say they not only won the presidency, but the Senate back and everything else, uh, and things don't really work out as promised or expected, in 2022, the Republicans might have the greatest year they've had in 20 years. It's just that kind of environment. We okay. are looking for something we can't seem to find um, fully. And so as we come into the fall election, we're going to have to make a choice, uh, regardless of whether we like a particular person or not, about who most reflects where we're coming from. And I think the things that the president stands for versus Joe Biden yeah. might become a lot more popular as we move closer to November. In, in 20 seconds, what what is going to make in the long term for the most, in this climate, the most successful media personality types? In like 20 seconds. The most successful media most successful personality media types. Who's going to last in the media? Uh, I can tell you the qualities. Real, genuine, telling it like it is, but finding a way to appeal to the heart to unite versus divide. I needed that. Adam Goodman, media strategist. Thanks for coming on. Have a great weekend, everybody. Happy Juneteenth. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. And hey, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.